Toman. Who knows what that means? Means he came. Means he came. And you know what's so interesting about that word? You say, well, wait a minute. This is the Christmas time. This is not Resurrection Sunday time. Because that word is associated with the Passover. That word is, uh, is what is called the last thing that takes place in a Passover or Seder meal. The afikoman is the piece of matzah bread that is broken. You have three pieces of matzah bread that are in one bag, one linen bag. And you have three pieces, and the middle piece is taken out, and it's broken, and then it's taken, and it's hidden. And at the end of the Seder meal, at the end of the Passover meal, uh, the children get to go find it, and those who find that broken piece of matzah bread, uh, they are considered the winners. They're, They're given a prize and for some reason, they call it dessert. But it has absolutely nothing to do with dessert. And it is the only Greek word in a Hebrew uh, experience. Afikoman. When that word got put in the Passover experience, the Passover meal, no one knows. And what in the world is a Greek word doing in that experience? Well, I'll tell you. The early believers wanted to make sure that their Jewish loved ones, their friends, understood as they were celebrating the Passover that he came. That's what that word means. So when your Jewish friends are celebrating the Passover, at some point in that experience, what they are saying is, He came. And see, that's exactly what the Scriptures tell us. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You're talking about a Christmas present. You're talking about a gift that changed the world. But the Lord Jesus himself tells us in Luke 19.10 that he came into the world, that for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. So yes, we say Maranatha normally, don't we? Our Lord comes. That's a great thing to remember. That's a great thing to, to express. But during this season, as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, I want us to make sure and emphasize the fact that he came and that we too tell our lost friends, our lost loved ones, our lost family members that he came. 
And as we celebrate this Christmas season, I want us to examine several things. We're going to examine this morning where he came. You'll say, oh, pastor, you, you've preached this sermon before. Yeah, I have, and I love it. And I'm going to probably preach it again and again and again and again. But it's been several years. And glory be to God, we have several people who are coming now that didn't come back then when I preached it. But it is absolutely imperative that we understand where Christ came. Not only is it a fulfillment of Scripture, and we know he came to Bethlehem, but where in Bethlehem, folks, the truth of it is just marvelous. It is glorious. And it just, again, proves that this book is alive. This book is real. This book is true when we examine where he came based on the, Christian, uh, the, the uh, scriptural, scriptural truth. So this morning we're going to examine when Christ was born in Bethlehem, where was he born in Bethlehem? Then we're going to examine the virgin birth next week and why the virgin birth is necessary and does it matter that it was his blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. We're going to see why the virgin birth was necessary and why his blood is the only blood that could be shed and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we're going to talk about the wise men who came from the east. What's so significant about the gifts that they brought? What about the star? What, what, was, what, was about, what was so much about that? Is it just tradition and things that we like to see as we decorate for Christmas? Or are there some staggering biblical truth that all of these point to that just causes us to embrace the fact that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son and all the marvelous truths around that. You know, people tell us, and I just heard it a couple of weeks ago, and, and you hear it on a regular basis, oh, the, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas, that, you know, that it's pagan, that it's this, that it's that, and nothing can be further from the truth. Because what we celebrate is the birth of our Savior. Let me tell you something. The angels celebrated the birth of Christ. Amen? Uh, matter of fact, put Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 up there. The angels certainly celebrated. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the, high, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That sounds like a celebration uh, to me. The shepherds, when they left there in Luke chapter 2, um, verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Sounds like a celebration to me, right? Why wouldn't you want to celebrate the birth of the Savior of the world? Why wouldn't you want to celebrate the one who came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. Why wouldn't you want to celebrate the birth of the one who came to save sinners like me and like you? And the first person, who was the first person to celebrate the birth of Christ? John the Baptist. And John the Baptist wasn't even born yet. Christ wasn't born yet. And John the Baptist in the womb. Look at uh, Luke 1.41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. 
John the Baptist sleep because he knew. Well, verse 43. And whence this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Verse 44. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Sounds like a celebration to me. So folks, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. We celebrate the fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I kind of feel sorry for those who don't want to celebrate the birth of the Savior. Don't you? So this morning we're going to take a look at the birth of Christ. We're going to look at it in a in a fashion that dispels a lot of unscriptural tradition. And it amazes me how sometimes when you start dispelling tradition associated with, with this time of year, you make people mad. But I'd rather be faithful to the Scripture and to the truth of God's Word. But we're going to look at it, and I think what we're going to look at this morning, and even when we talk about the wise men, uh, and even the virgin birth, We're, when we talk about those things, there are certain uh, practices today and certain traditions that, that we're going to, to dispel, and there are some glorious truths that, un, that, that just should make us embrace God's love and care for us and just understand that the nativity, uh, it, from a scriptural point of view, uh, demonstrates God's love for us and that he cared enough to send the very best. And we're going to be looking that uh, this morning. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And again, as you turn there, I'll tell you, our uh, the Christmas Eve service is very special. We're going to sing a lot of Christmas songs. Uh, we'll have a candlelight service, and it's very special. We'll have... Uh, uh, some testimonies. So if you'd like to share your testimony, if you'd like to sing a song, uh, please plan on being involved in that, that uh, Christmas Eve service. We start at 6 and we're done by 7. We all, we, so everybody can get home and, and be with their families. Uh, but Luke chapter 2, let's start with verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign 
unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Have you ever wondered why swaddling cloths would be a sign? You ever wondered about that? This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Why in the world will swaddling clothes be a sign and in a manger be part of that sign? How did the sh- why do shepherds? Why, why did the angels come to shepherds? How did the shepherds know where to go find the babe when they heard this? And people say, oh, well, the star. But there's no place for the stars related to uh, the, the shepherd's story. That's something we'll talk about when we talk about the wise men. So why would wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger... This is going to be a sign unto you. You know, you hear all sorts of tradition. You hear all sorts of things. Well, swaddling was just a way to to demonstrate that Mary loved the baby Jesus. It's a sign that a mama cares for her child. Well, it was. Uh, it was. It showed his lowly birth. Swaddling shows his lowly birth why would why wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a manger why would that be a sign to these shepherds well i think to understand that you have to understand what what was going on with swaddling cloths there's several different thoughts behind swaddling cloths And the purpose of swaddling cloths, uh, we need to know that it was a common practice uh, in that part of the country, well, actually around the world at that time, that when people went on journeys, and Joseph was going on a journey, he, he was leaving Galilee, he was going, you know, he was leaving Nazareth, he was coming down to Bethlehem, that was quite a journey. And when people went on journeys, they usually took their death uh, burial wrappings with them. They had wear their over their 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 clothes on the outside, but on the inside they would wrap themselves with with their burial cloth, because you never know. You never know. It, the the trips were fraught with danger, uh, with sickness. Death commonly occurred. So their undergarments would be wraps would be wraps of strips of cloth around their waist in the event of their of their death. Uh, so their burial clothes were handy. And it was just a common practice. Uh, I think it's interesting that uh, uh, what they had on hand possibly was Joseph's uh, burial garb, uh, signifying that, that he was born to die. That's, you know, that's possible. And I've heard that as a tradition that uh, uh, here Joseph, the first Joseph connected to the birth of our, our Savior, uh, his, um, uh, Joseph was uh, 
gave him his burial clothes. Uh, the last Joseph gave him his tomb. And so the, the name Joseph literally means uh, God will add or God will provide. Uh, so I just think that's, that's interesting. Uh, something else that's interesting that I've heard people say, well, no, 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 the reason for the swaddling uh, was uh, because that represented the death of Christ who was born to die. I've heard other people say that, that swaddling strips were used by the priest to trim the lanterns. They were dipped in oil, and then the lanterns that, that uh, uh, were around the temple, they were dipped in the oil, and then they used those to light uh, that light the temple, and Christ is the light of the world. Well, all those things are pretty neat to think about, but I don't think they answer the question why a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger, is going to be a sign to these shepherds of what was going on. I think to answer it, we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Number one, where was Christ born? So turn with me to Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth hath been from old, from everlasting. Talking about the Lord Jesus, the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, they talked about the fact that where is he that's king of Israel? We've come to worship. We've seen his star, and we're here to, uh, to worship him. Now this Micah, this was about 700 years prior to Christ being, being born. And so it was prophesied that Christ was going to be born in Bethlehem. The city of David. Well, wouldn't it be really fascinating if where in Bethlehem exactly he was to be born? You say, well, I know, I know, it's in Bethlehem. He went to the end. There was no room at the end. And, and we've seen small one. We've, we've seen uh, stories where the innkeeper says, I'm so sorry, I don't have any room for you, but I have the stable back in the back. And, well, you know, it's kind of dirty, and there's some uh, donkeys, and there's some camels, and there's some sheep. But if you can make you a bed, hey, you can stay there. And, I mean, after all, why wouldn't there be room in the end? Well, remember... Uh, there was a census that everyone had to come to, to, Bethlehem, to, to, to pay a tax to where the city they're from, and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem. So there was a census going on there, but there was also something else going on about this time. The Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was going on at this time. Now, with the Feast of Tabernacles, it was required that every Jewish male attend that feast. So, Jerusalem was packed. Bethlehem was packed. That surrounding area was packed. There, there was not a hotel room to be had. But Mary, nevertheless, was pregnant. It was time for her to deliver. Went to the end. There's no room. Scriptures doesn't say, but the innkeeper, out of the kindness of the heart, said, hey, you, 
you can go, she can she can go have her baby uh, in the stable, behind 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 here. Scripture didn't say that. See, God had it planned that it's even more marvelous, more glorious, more meaningful than anything we experience as we as we talk about this birth. Where was Christ born? Micah 5.2 tells us Bethlehem. Micah 4.8 tells us where in Bethlehem. Micah 4.8 And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, until thee, unto thee shall it come. Even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Tower of the flock? There's a Hebrew word for that. It's called Migdal Eder. Migdal Eder. It was a special watchtower. It was a special stable right outside of Bethlehem where the lambs that were earmarked, when the sheep were all over the place, and there were special shepherds on hand to gather up the, sh the sheep, the, the lambs that were born that were going to be used for temple sacrifice. It was called the Migdal Eater. It was called the Flock Tower. It's where the shepherds could stand at the top of the tower and they could look over the flock and they could see the sheep. They could see the ones that might be distressed. They could see the ones that were getting ready to give birth. And they were able to go and bring in those sheep into a very tidy, very clean, a very uh, controlled environment in order for the sheep to give birth. Matter of fact, these shepherds were Levitical shepherds, and they were given the, the job of making sure that, that the, the stalls were clean and acceptable in order to give birth to these, these lambs that were going to be used for the temple uh, uh, sacrifice. And when these, because the temple sacrifice, the lamb had to be what? Spotless. Had to be spotless. So these lambs had to be spotless, and they watched for them at the Migdal Eater, at the, watch, at the flock tower, and when they'd see them, they would bring them in, and these priests, uh, these, these Levitical shepherds, they would make sure that they were brought in. This flock tower was, was located just right outside of Bethlehem proper, it was Bethlehem location, not far from the town. That's where they watched uh, for the sheep. And by the way, I don't want to get past the, the fact that it was Feast of the Tabernacles. Feast of the Tabernacles. Because John chapter 1, verse 14, talks about how that Christ is going to come and, and be, he was going to dwell among us. Uh, the word dwelt there is, is tabernacle, uh, that he's going 
come in the, in the flesh and he's going to tabernacle. And the word was made flesh and tabernac tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So each one of the feast days are types of Christ. Everyone from the Passover, he's our Passover. Every one of the feasts represented a point in the life and of Christ himself. The Feast of Tabernacles was to demonstrate the fact that God himself was going to come and tabernacle dwell among us. Now, when is the Feast of Tabernacle? Feast of Tabernacle always at the last part of September or the first part of October, based on the Jewish calendar. Our calendar, it's always like the last week of September, the first week of October. So when Christ was really born is during that period of time. So if we wanted to be accurate when we celebrate the birth of Christ, it would be the last uh, week in September, the first week in October. But if you start singing, Oh, Holy Night, at that time of the year, people are going to really think you're weird. I'm not so sure that would be bad, but, but I'm not sure that's going to catch on. But what's interesting is the real miracle was not the birth of Christ. The real miracle was what? The conception. That was the real miracle when the Holy Spirit came into Mary and she conceived. And when would that have happened? Let me give you a hint. Sometime around January the 25th. So what we're doing on January the 25th is we're celebrating not so much the birth. That would have been the last part of September, first part of October. What we're celebrating is that miraculous uh, uh, when Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that's what we're celebrating. You say, well, how can you prove that? Well, again, that's the neat thing about scriptures. That's the fun thing about scriptures. As we study, there's truths are there, and they just they explode. Like, we know that he was to be born, he was to come to Bethlehem, and in the, the, the flock tower, the McDowell Eater, that's where he was supposed to be born. But that God's word is very clear at the when Christ would be born. Look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. See, the timing fits based on uh, Zacharias' announcement of John the Baptist. I mean, we know that John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ, but he was also Christ's cousin. He was, he was the Lord's cousin. Look at Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 5. And there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, Abia, before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense that he went into the temple of the Lord. 
And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So here's Zacharias. He goes into the temple during his time, during his course, 24 courses of the priest. Each one of them had a specific course. We, we know when uh, uh, Aaron's, uh, Zacharias's was, it was the course of Abia, which happens to be the eighth course from the time of Passover, there are all of these courses, and so they would, and they named each one of them. Uh, if, if, if you want to, we won't stop right now, but uh, 1 Chronicles 24.10 tells us exactly when the course of Abia was. So it was during this time that Zacharias goes in during his time in order to uh, do the incense. Well, that is late June, late June is when that occurs. So he goes in, and this is when the Lord tells him, you're going to have a son. And Zacharias says, I'm old. My wife Elizabeth is old. And basically, the Lord says, and this is going to be his name. And and, uh, uh, Zacharias is made deaf, so he can't speak until John is born, and then he says his name is John the Baptist. So in, in the last part of June, he goes in. He's told that your wife, Elizabeth, is going to conceive. So when he's done at the end of that, I mean, that only lasts a week. When he's done, he hightails at home. I mean, faith in God believing God, and so we're going to find out. I'm sure he didn't wait around when he got home. And guess what Elizabeth does? She conceives. So in July, she conceives. Six months later, according to the Scripture, is when Mary conceives. So July, August, uh, September, October, November, December. So doing that figuring and that math is how we know that Christ conceived uh, in the month of December. Nine months later, guess when that is? The Feast of Tabernacles. I mean, it all just fits. It's all part of God's plan. It It doesn't leave anything to guesswork. It just takes study. It just takes going through the Scriptures I know some people say, hey, I'd just rather leave it to Disney to tell me how it happened. I'd rather just some, yeah, I'd rather just, that's too complicated. It's not complicated. It is absolutely glorious truth of how God put it together for us to show without doubt that it fits, that it's accurate, that it's meaningful. But wait, there's more to come. Let's get back to that tower. And the purpose of that tower, as these shepherds who were watching for those sheep, and when those special sheep gave birth to those special lambs, they were watching for those spotless lambs that could be used for sacrifice in the temple. They would go out and they would gather those lambs or they'd bring those sheep in into that area that was clean. Uh, There were certain height 
hygienic things that had to transpire. Uh, they would bring those sheep in. What would they do? What would they do to those sheep, those lambs? They would wrap them in swaddling cloths so they wouldn't hurt themselves because if they had a blem, if there was a blemish, if there was a mark, if there was some, whoops, we can't use them, and they would use for regular service for eating or something. But those spotless ones, they would be wrapped in swaddling cloths, born in a manger at the flock tower. So when the angel appeared and said, this shall be a sign unto you, you're going to find this babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger. That they understood. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's the eighth. Eighth course. I, I, it, all, it all fits. The shepherds knew right where to, where to go. Not only that, we need to understand that the, the, uh, the Mishnah, which was the Jewish oral traditions that were written down, uh, they had, it's in the Mishnah revealed that the Messiah was to be born at Mignal Eder. Eder. That, that Jewish, Jewish tradition says that when the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, but he's going to be born in Mignal Eder. That's, that was in the Mishnah. And that the, the lambs uh, designated for the temple sacrifices, that's where they are born. The child was wrapped as a lamb destined for sacrifice. So when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that comes That Lamb of God is the one that the angels said, you're going to find him. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. The shepherds knew what was wrapped in swaddling clothes. The lambs destined for the temple sacrifice. Consistent all the way through. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one 
to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. And he shall see his seed, and shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And he shall see of the tra tra travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with a great, with a great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressor, transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This consistency of God's word from the time the announcement of Christ's birth was made all the way through till he hung on Calvary's cross as the spotless, righteous Lamb of God. It just makes so much sense. John 1, 29, John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. See, who says we shouldn't celebrate this time? I've got news for you. I celebrate my birth. Uh, uh, I celebrate, well, my birth too. Uh, but I celebrate the birth of Christ. I celebrate the fact that it all makes so much sense as God shows his love for us. God shows his consistency. God says that you are going to find this babe, this spotless Lamb of God wrapped in swaddling clothes and it's going to be a sign. The shepherds knew exactly where to look. But the world doesn't look for him. And that's what's so, that, that's, that's what's heartbreaking. They made it so easy. God made it so easy. Salvation is easy. We just believe. It made it so true. What a, what a beautiful story. How it fits it's consistent. Who, who wouldn't want to embrace something like that? Yet the world says, we don't want it. That's why I think when the world's attention is turned to the Christ child, when the world's attention is turned to that babe in the manger, that's when we use the opportunity to point them to the Christ on the cross. Amen? If they're so eager to talk about a way in a manger, we're going to talk about a way, the way to salvation through Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this, this morning and we stand in awe. We stand in appreciation of how your scripture just lays it out so clear, so precise, so wonderfully outlined. 
if the world wants to come up with other, other things, because they can't, just can't accept your word, I, I guess. The world wants to add to it when the truth is so much more dear. The truth is so much more precious. The truth points to the fact that that he was that special, spotless Lamb of God. The fact that he was going to be born in the flock tower where those special lambs, spotless, were taken in and wrapped and protected so that they could be that sacrifice. We thank you for that picture. We thank you for what you tell us in your word. And Father, may we be faithful in sharing those truths, understanding those truths, sharing the gospel with the world that needs to hear it. Father, we're thankful for the salvation that Christ gives all who believes. Father, how thankful we are this morning that Christ died on Calvary's cross. We thank you that we can celebrate the manger, but Father, how we rejoice. We boast in the cross of Christ. We thank you for his death. We thank you for that purchase of our redemption, that debt that was paid. Father, we thank you for that. We're thankful how you told us how it happened so that we can celebrate. And I pray this morning, Father, if there's anyone here that's not saved, they've, they've never settled that issue. They've never come to you by faith, believing that you died for them, were buried, were buried and rose again. Father, I pray right this moment, by faith, they'll believe. They won't put it off any longer. They'll, remember, they'll, they'll realize that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And for them to have that assurance of salvation, for them to have that assurance of eternal life, by faith they trust in you. And that gift of eternal life is theirs. Because you're a God who cannot lie. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Father, bless us now as we end this service. But Father, realize that we're just now going out into the mission field and that we might faithfully serve you this week. We pray these things in Christ's holy and precious name.